This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. This is the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax, here with Paul Trevor, the head coach at Cal State Stanislaus. Coach Trevor, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. Coach Trevor, a lot of people in Southern California aren't as familiar with the Cal State Stanislaus brand. Can you take a minute just to talk about your university and your program? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, I've been around the CCAA and the California State University systems for a long time and uh, started at Sonoma State, went to San Bernardino for a long time and San Francisco State. And I've kind of toured the CCAA, which is a uh, it uh, gives me a different view of all the universities. They all have great things to offer. Um, and no one really knows much about Stan State down here in Turlock. And, you know, we're, we're, we're Central California School. We're up in 99. And, uh, you know, Turlock itself is like a great community. It's about probably about 85, 90,000 uh, people. It's a mixture of, you know, farming, agriculture, moving forward into a more progressive and it's uh it's got like the university it's it's an exciting uh city in that sense now it's not an exciting city if you're looking for nightlife you know and things like that so it's got incredible facilities it's sitting in the heart of the city and uh, it's a great university uh for class size about 10,000 students it's got you know affordable housing uh they've built some great places across from campus where people can stay they call them the vistas and then they have on-campus places and and if you ever come to a, a game out here in Turlock it's it's really fun it's got a good atmosphere the court is beautiful the facilities the gym the, the team room and in the soccer games under the lights you know on a Friday night with about 85 degrees and or you know you go to a baseball game with the stadium seating I think it's got a real good sports feel <clears throat> you know I think being kind of in the Central Valley and being down here, people are like, well, you know, it's the main show in town besides high school football, I think, because high school football is pretty big out here too. Um, but it's, it's exciting and it's, it's got a nice little thing to offer. Yep. One challenge you have as a D2 coach is a lot of high school players. They just don't know how good the D2 level is simply because they haven't been exposed to it. What can you tell our listeners about playing Division II basketball and the CCA? Uh, Division II basketball is uh, is extremely high level. Uh, if you if you if you've never got an opportunity to really watch it or or participate in it, I think it would be the participate that would really you know get you alive because guys really really compete at this level. They're fighting for everything they get, and it's um, you get elite players that will come down from Division One as well as you get guys who get overlooked. And especially at the high school level, I think, you know, programs like Chico State, Cal Poly Pomona, they've, they've excelled of getting these elite high school players that weren't elite yet, and they became elite. And they could have played at any Division I program on the West Coast, maybe except for Gonzaga, but, but any other program, <laughs> you know, they, they become these elite players. And it's just because there's so much talent in California that there's not much different between difference between, you know, as you would know, like a Larry Gordon, who's a six, four stud athlete that can guard somebody that's about 20 years ago um, that could guard somebody and a guy playing at the division one level. 
I think, you know, the biggest thing we talk about is, is the post players at the division one level are three inches taller, four inches taller. You know, you can't, it's harder to get away with a six, six post player at the division one level, but you sure can do it at our level. If you're athletic. Um, I think your guard play, you know, our guards can be six foot to six, two, their guards are six, five to six, four. You know, I think the length and the size is, is one of the biggest differences. Um, but with that being said, at the competitive level, you know, it's, it's ultra competitive. And if you get in the CCAA, uh, which is a defensive minded league, it becomes really hard. Everyone takes away your strengths and they make you play your weakness. So you have to be an extremely well-rounded player to succeed at this level. Thanks so much for that. Speaking of elite play, you played UCLA last year. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, for sure. It was a, it was a great honor uh, to be there. I'll tell you the, the best part about it is that, you know, your guys go out and you're warming up and you're in that UCLA visitor team room and you're sitting in there and you're, you're like, Oh, we're about to play UCLA. And you hear the fight song, the UCLA fight song going on. And, and you're like, wow, they're getting ready to play. Who are they going to play? You know, you're like, you're juiced. You're getting ready to watch it on TV. And you're like, who are they about to, who are they about to smack? And then you're like, Oh shoot, it's me. <laughs> it's me. Uh, no, but it was a great experience. We competed. I think we played so hard just to stay in it. All my guys were cramping up. Like they were like cramping up. They weren't ready for that level yet. But we competed again. Uh, they, they kicked our butt on the glass. I mean, they really were big and physical and coach Cronin does great job. And they were just tougher than we were at that point. And, and uh, of course they were, but it still was a great honor, a great, you know, an unbelievable experience. And for Stan state to get that opportunity, I was really grateful. What other notable division one programs have you played during your time at Stanislaus? Oh, it's Stanny. Well, we played Reno. We played uh, UOP. UOP is nice enough to play us every year, and or they've done a great job with that. And you know, Coach Stoudemire is incredible up there. I mean, he's turned that whole program around. And um, you know, we're lucky enough to have played Riverside uh, when Coach Reynolds was uh, retiring on his way, you know, to retirement. We got to go down there, and they honored him, uh, Coach Larry Reynolds, and they honored him, and that was a spectacular thing. Uh, you know, that guy is a legendary coach, and I've learned so much from him. So, uh, you know, Coach Reynolds, I just owe him so much. But uh, I think that, you know, those have been some really key games, you know, and I've been lucky enough in, in my past to play like at St. John's or, or gone to Maryland and to coach at those levels. And, and those are incredible games. So, you know, they're a great opportunity for the athletes, for the players. No doubt. So what we're going to talk about today, our focus, our emphasis today is talking about guard development. A whole lot of guards think that the transition from high school to playing in college is going to be an easy transition. Can you talk about the struggles you see from guards trying to adjust from playing in high school to playing in a defensive-minded league like the CCA, what they struggle with both offensively and defensively, and how you help them? For sure. I think that the first thing you got to realize is that the, the game is so much quicker. Like like Division One, Division Two, from high school, the game is so much quicker. It happens so fast. So that gap that you were going to hit is not going to be there. Like you hit it in high school. The, the help guy is going to help and get out quicker than you remember the, the secondary and primary rotations are going to be there. And the, the shot blockers are going to be bigger. So you, you have to get adjusted to the speed of play, you know? And so one way that we would do that a lot is we do a lot of, like we call it a T advantage drills. We create a lot of two on ones or three on twos with chasers in the half court. Uh, where we are, we are putting you in an advantage situation 
and then making you read react out of that advantage situation. And I think that that is one of the ways, you know, obviously we got to, we got to get nutrition and strength and, and development and be able to shoot the ball consistently and all the standard things that you would do, but making them, you know, young high school players learn how to read and react, learn how to read and react to the quickness of the game. Sorry, I get excited. I talk animated with my hands. I get a little fired up, but the game happens so quick. You blow by a guy, here comes six, seven athlete rotating over to beat you up and where are you going? What decision are you going to make? And you've got to create those, those opportunities. And I think that sometimes, you know, putting them in a context where they have that advantage and they have to make the correct decision and then teaching off of those and breakdowns really helps us get better. But it's a double-edged sword because a lot of times those decisions you're talking about, they're so much more difficult when play is sped up and you're mentally sped up. How do you groom a player to get through that? Oh, well, we really, well, we got to really get after it. Like, so we compete at our, what we do at our program is we really compete. Everything matters. So like we, we value everything and, and we put them into a situation right away where, you know, who you pick up and who you, you know, who you're running with and open gym and who you're, who you're playing with, how to make them better and how to put them in better situations so that, you know, when you penetrate kick, you're not kicking it to a non-shooter at the three-point line where it's just a wasted opportunity. So you want to make sure that we compete to put that pressure on you from day one, from day one. And that, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we're missing right now because of our non-workouts is that opportunity to, to compete daily. Like kids can go out and work out and then it's on them to be great. Like it's on them to, they got to have ownership and they got to really do it themselves. I mean, how much yelling can you do through a Zoom workout? You know, my wife always jokes around with me. She's like, quiet down. They can hear you just fine. But I'm all juiced up in a Zoom workout. But it's, um, I think that that's the biggest loss is that live competing, even in an open gym setting. Like if a coach isn't there, it's, it's a different, it's a different environment than just playing in an open gym or playing against somebody different. Go ahead. And it seems like, Nowadays, it's a, more, a little more difficult to get players to talk. How do you get your players just being championship talkers? Ooh, that's a great, a lot of guys are, are internal. They keep it all inside. And, and, you know, I think you struggle with that. I think the first thing is you start with recruitment. I think you got to recruit the guys who, who make that decision, like who are vocal, who understand who they are as basketball players. A lot of guys don't talk because they don't, they don't think it's cool or they don't talk because they, they got too many other things going on. Let's find somebody who's secure with who they are that has a common goal of success and be vocal to help other guys get to the right spots. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this. In a non-COVID year, can you tell us about your approach to your individual workouts heading into season, how you integrate skill development into practice before game start? And once your games get going, how are you sure to include your guard development? Okay. Awesome. Good question, coach. Uh, so basically what we are looking for is in the spring, we do a lot of, or sorry, the fall, we do a lot of skill development. So individual skill development, ball handling, T advantage drill, small group work. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the defensive concepts, you know, with the bluff recover, plug and gap, stuff like that. We work on that. We incorporate, so we go about probably split 30, 30 skill development and that. I don't do a lot of execution offensively in those sequences. I do more individual player development. I think, you know, you can draw up the same play 
for the same player or for a different player. And one guy's going to make the shot. The next guy's not going to make it. It's how you get that repetition, how you create that confidence in that movement that players really shine. And so um, we really spent a lot of time trying to develop that confidence within that movement in the, in the, in the fall. And then uh, as we get into season, you know, guys love to shoot and work out after practice, especially if they're, if they're players who have an edge and want to get better, they're always in the gym. You know, they're always like, Hey coach, why are we ending practice? You know, especially if you're running a good practice, they, they want to stick around, they want to get that extra work in. And so we do a lot of like finishing drills at the end of practice, a lot of one-on-one, a lot of uh, footwork stuff, short jab, long jab, quick steps, you know, uh, and into a shot. So I really want to spend that time developing them as individuals because that, I mean, really, is that what we're doing? We're teaching them that hard work creates, creates success, right? Isn't that like, hey, you put the time in, you're going to be great. You know, we're going to keep working on it. And then we, they start to believe it and then they become great. So uh, hopefully it pays off, I guess, that's what we're shooting for. So I think we do that. And then in the spring, is, it's, all about, it's all about them as a player. In the spring, it's just, it's, it's individually based in a lot of ways. We don't, there's no real, you know, you get the summer break. So it's more about developing them even more so. Makes a lot of sense. How about at your game day shoot arounds? What are you doing in terms of skill? Uh, well, I think that depends on your team. I, I really, I really, really do. I think if you have a senior heavy team or you run in like five or six guys, you know, on a game day, you're not going to overwork them. If you're really short on it, you're going to, you're going to, I've come from so many different schools of that, you know, where one coach will be like, we are regimented, we are live, we are going. And then you come from another school of thought where a guy's like, ah, just roll out the balls, flick up jumpers. And, you know, then, um, so I, I come from a lot of different things. I know like our red shirts and our guys who don't play a lot, they'll get extra work in. They always, they always want to get extra work and we always put extra work in at the end of shoot around for them. But the guys that play a lot, I think it depends. I mean, if you remember the CCAA was Friday, Saturday. So Saturday shoot arounds were very light because we usually had to travel. And then you got there, you're really just trying to get the legs out a little bit. Um, but now that we're Thursday, Saturday, and, and our schedule was more um, better suited for the athlete, we went a little harder. You know, we would try and create that mental toughness, you know, like we're going to get better at it. So it's not a ton, though. It's not a ton of development on, on game days. Okay, thank you. Now you brought up redshirting, and I'm so glad you did because what I want our listeners to understand is it's the opposite of a punishment. A lot of players think I'm getting benched for a year, but the way I see it is coaches investing a scholarship in a year where you're not even playing. That's how high coach thinks of you. Can you just talk a little about the redshirt experience? For sure. I, you know, I'm a I'm a huge advocate and proponent of the redshirt. I think that if you look at the elite programs at our level they've always seemed to have redshirt guys and develop them and bring them along. Um, and it takes time. And, and now how do you convey that to your athletes is it's hard. Like you're going to be better at 22 than you are at 18. You're going to be better at 23 than you are at 17. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's hard to tell a kid who wants to play that, you know, you should think long-term and then academically also, I think about it, if a coach is willing to invest money to develop you, you're going to have a better opportunity to graduate. You're going to have more units done. You're going to be on your way out. You're, by the end of your, your fall semester, your senior year, you're going to be taking basically no classes to finish up your degree. Um, it's, it's a huge opportunity to get stronger, quicker, better, shoot the ball with more consistency. I mean, that's why guys, when they turn pro, they get better. 
right? They, they get better because they spend more time at their craft and you're going to spend more time at your craft just at a younger age. And um, I just think it's huge. I think the, the, the issue we're going to run into wax is this COVID year having a year off for some guys and then redshirting guys is going to be like a two year gap. It's going to be, it's going to be a hot mess. I don't know how to do it. I might have to just play two squads and just let them all run. Yeah, totally, totally understood. And uh, someone you and I know in common, Greg Kamansky, one thing he always did a great job of with his players who said, redshirting is going to be hard because for me, it's a year sitting out. And he would always say, it's not a year. It's November to March that you're not playing in games. But the day the season ends, you're competing for minutes on the squad for the next year, just like everyone else's. That's awesome. That's awesome. No wonder he wins so much. <laughs> so switching gears for a moment, speaking of guard development, Different coaches have their gizmos and gadgets. Do you use anything like dribble goggles or anything like that? No, I'm a cone guy. I'm old school. I'm a cone guy. I'm a coach guy. You know, I'll stick my hand right in their gut and get low sweep, you know, get right underneath it. You know, I got to stretch out a little bit before practice. So I'm loose, you know, I'm getting a little older, but, but, uh, but I think, you know, I think, you, I mean, I'm not throwing garbage cans at them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, having all these ropes and gadgets and pulling them left and right, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you got to create angles. So we'll go high side, create an angle. We'll talk about, we'll use cones for finishing purposes. We'll drive gaps, but no, it, the, the way you get better is by playing and, and straight out. Thanks coach. And a question we love to ask our guests, what's your favorite unpopular opinion? Meaning what's something that you believe that a lot of other coaches feel the exact opposite about? Well, I don't see, you know, I struggle with that a lot. I, I, we, we had, we had talked about that briefly and, you know, one thing, you know, we're huge ball pressure guy, you know, like ball pressure, plug the gaps in and out early help, early recovery, you know, stun it. You'll hear me yell at all game. And then guys will drive from the wing down, down the, the wing line and you'll have corner and we don't help from the corner. So I, I don't know if that's unpopular or not, but we just don't, I think it's situational. I think it, but for me, it's never help from the corner. That's the quickest way to find your way onto my bench is when you help from the corner and they kick it to a guy in the corner and he hits a three. It's like, we talk about that every day. And so that's probably the quick, that's probably the biggest thing. That makes a lot of sense. And what we'd love to do is check in with you about the Southern California players on your roster. You signed a player that I think was very undervalued by the market, Tony Singleton from Hesperia. I'll tell you this, in the last 10 years, there's not a lot of players that I've seen that I'd want the ball in their hands more when the shot clock's going down than Tony Singleton. And I know as a freshman this year, it's been hard to really work with him, but how much have you been able to do with Tony? Uh, we haven't been able to do a ton. You know, uh, we, we've talked like about moving forward and trying to develop and it's, it's, it's tricky because, you know, he gets the weight program uh, sent from our strength and conditioning coach. And then, you know, I'm trying to work him out on Zoom. I'll tell you, Tony is a difference maker. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, and the quicker we can get him on the court and the quicker we can get him in those situations that we talked about uh, for guard development, the better off he's going to be. Um, I think, you know, obviously a little more strength, but he's a competitor. I mean, the kid will slide down, guard a kid in the post. And he doesn't back down from anybody. Uh, you know, to get him up here and, and to have, give him this opportunity to shine and show people what he's made of. I'm super excited. I love, uh, he's a great kid. And Omaje Smith from Foothills Christian. Oh yeah. Yeah. We needed to get a, an older guy 
So we we're, we're trying to do more high school, but Amaji can come in and play right away. You know, his body's ready. He's older. He's stronger. He can score at different levels. He can shoot to three and get to the basket. Um, and until we develop our identity, hopefully, you know, Amaji can blend in and make a nice mix with that. Cameron Brown from Cajon. Cam Brown. Love Cam Brown. Cam Brown. I love Cam Brown. Sorry. Cam Brown is what every coach, father, son, whatever you want to name could dream about. Um, you know, Cam Brown had a 4.0 last semester in the classroom. He leads by example. He leads by just leading. Um, he's a role model for people in the community. Um, he'll take a charge. He'll take endless charges. Uh, it's his turn. And what I mean by that is he spent, uh, he redshirted. Like we have a lot of guys who redshirted and sat out. We had a very senior heavy team. And, you know, Cam, you can say it's Cam's turn because Cam's not going to overshoot the ball because Cam, all Cam wants to do is win. Cam just wants to be, to win. And you can't have a better guy running your team than that. No doubt. How about Matt Bender from Francis Parker? Uh, Bender was playing. It was hard to evaluate. His skill set's so unique. Uh, like um, he played Francis Parker and everybody out there was so much smaller than him. And, you know, but I saw right and left hand jump hooks, uh, very physical presence. You know, he could stretch a little and shoot big time competitor and great kid. Uh, you know, he's going to be, he's got to become more agile, you know, a little bit. He's a little heavy footed, but he's on his way. He works hard. Great in the classroom. Great teammate. Love him. How about Travion Williams from Los Osos? Uh, Travion's one of my, another guy who I'm going to fall in love with. I mean, I haven't had the chance to coach him yet. Comes from another great program. I mean, you think about these programs that we're talking about, you know, Hesperia, which is Bobby Tosetti, who I worked with, you know, Cajon, um, you know, it's Randy Murray, who we all, you know, Randy's a legend now, probably. He's so been doing it for so long. And then you talk about Calvin over at Los Osos and, you know, Trevion just does everything you want a guy to do to win a game, uh, except for score, you know, like, and I think that's there too, but I think he's so unselfish, you know, he'd like get a steal and then wait for someone else to come up and give him the rock so they can lay it in. Uh, he defends at all levels. He can defend post perimeter. He rebounds at all level. He's a great teammate, great student, comes from a great family. Um, yeah, I'm super like all these guys you keep naming. I can't wait to coach them. I like it. Like, give me, give me these guys. These guys are unbelievable young men. It's going to take a time though, Wax. I got to go them. We got, give me, give me a year. Let me get these guys right. Understood. How about Keegan Cummings from Escondido? Uh, we needed a big, we needed a body. We needed a, and you know, Keegan, we recruited late and he came from a great program, Andy Grounds down there at Saddleback. And, you know, we didn't have any size. We lost all our size. And, you know, I was like, we saw Keegan the summer before this, you know, and we were like, well, he's too good for us. Well, he's too good for us. You know, he's just so big and, you know, can finish around the basket. And then we had the opportunity to talk to him. We had to give him a virtual reality tour, you know, like we were on, you know, like, you know, Facebook Messenger, showing him around the campus. You know, it was one of those deals. Uh, Keegan's unique, though, because, if you know, if we can get him in shape, he's a big body and he can really score and he's working really, really hard. He did great in the classroom. And uh, I'm just super excited to coach him, too. I mean, he's a big he's a big kid. How about Luis Salgado from Foothills Christian? Uh, Mitch Charlins uh, helped me with uh, Luis. And Mitch was uh, an old San Francisco State Gator you know, back in the day. So Mitch and I are strong and Mitch, obviously we all know has won a lot of games. God, there's a consistency here, right? A lot of guys from winning programs. So I love that. 
you know, you're talking about Saddleback, Fullerton, San Diego City. Woo, those are some good programs. But um, yeah, Mitch said any program would die to have Luis, Luis Salgado. He was the glue, the heart, the soul. And he's to be a third year guy when he comes back. And he's absolutely right. He'll be my only senior. Uh, and Luis is extremely talented uh, and has always made sacrifices for uh, his teammates, meaning that doesn't need to be the guy, but just needs to be, he can be, but he, he just picks his spots. And uh, I'm lucky and I, I'm grateful for Mitch for that. That was one of the first signs we got when we got here, when I got here, and I couldn't be happier with Luis Salgado. And hearing you talk about the players in your program, and as you said, they come from winning programs, which is really important. But what's also important is the relationships that you've maintained. It seems like when someone calls you and says, I have a player for you, they're really looking out for the player and for you. It's really special to have those kind of relationships. Well, without a doubt, I've been doing it a long time, Wax. And, you know, so like you're saying, I've met a lot of people. But uh, one thing is, is I really love my guys and I want to have a relationship with them. Like that gets really important. Like for me, uh, you know, over the years, I've coached so many players and so many great players and better people. And um, so like the relationships I have with these, these young men and then the coaches that I recruit from, you know, they know that I care about these kids. Like I care about them. They're not, they're, they're basketball players, but they're students, they're men and they're, they mean everything to me. And so if I can do anything to, to help them or throughout their lives, I would love to do that. And I think that these coaches know that. So going with that and the words you say, the words you speak have so much meaning, but when players, they bring it in, they say family on three. Sometimes family includes those really difficult moments. You have them as a parent, you have them as a coach. How do you work with the player who's maybe made a really bad mistake? How do you work with the player who's maybe really not happy with his playing time and his family's not happy with his playing time? And they give you that look like you sold us the world when you recruited our son Things aren't going well right now. How do you navigate through that difficult conversation? Those are all individual and they're, they're, all, they're all unique, I think, in their, their context. And what I mean by that is that it's, it's hard. Everybody's situation is different. All their pressures come from different situations. Uh, could be family pressure, could be self-imposed pressure, could be, you know, as we're talking about playing time, it could be like you view it differently than I do. Like, let me, I mean, we hear that all the time. Like, you know, like, you know, like, well, I think I'm outworking him or I'm a gamer or I'm this. And I think you need to make sure you're clear that, you know, like a gamer for me is one thing, but I need it every day. Like, that's how you become a gamer. Like, you got to bring it every day. That's, you know, you got to make sure your expectations are clear. Uh, I think sometimes, though, we're a little too sheltered. I think kids don't always want to hear the truth, you know, and, and that makes it harder because then they feel like you're attacking them. And I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm trying to be honest with everybody. Uh, and I think that's the that's the hardest part is that sometimes when you you tell them something tougher, they don't really want to hear the tougher. And that's where it becomes a problem. And 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 you're not trying to be negative. You're trying to be like, this is where we stand. This is where we're at. And uh, as far as discipline, uh, some people say I'm soft on it. I'm not soft on running you. I'm, I'm, I'll run you. I'll run you for a long time, and I'll run everybody. Uh, where I'm soft a little bit is that uh, is that I will give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. And I don't know if that makes you soft or not. I think that makes you caring because I think we all make mistakes. I think I think that makes you know we you know I was a young man once too, and uh, you know I want to be scolded and then I want to be built back up, right? And I think that if if you can do that, then you'll be okay.
Right. I'd definitely rather take the punishment and the discipline rather than um, you harboring resentment against me. Yes. Let yes. me let me have it and let's all move on, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. And I don't hold grudges or any of that. Like you're late. I just say we go on the line. Everyone's on the line. You know, let's move forward. We're going to run it out and then we'll be good. That makes a lot of sense. So the last question I would have is you've talked a lot about how you really embrace size in your program. And we were here talking about guard development. How much are you working on things like ball handling and shooting with your bigs? Uh, we do ball handling with everybody. Skill development with everybody, footwork with everybody. If you think short jab, long jab, sweep step, you know, rip through, isn't that what you're doing in the post? This is just you're just doing it closer. You're just you're just doing it from five feet with a little more contact, location dribble with a power hop. I mean, um, I think you're just doing things. Uh, you you want to develop your players' skill set all around. You know, my big shoot threes. You know, like like I'll let them. You know, how are you going to get better at it if you don't shoot it? So like now we're not coming around and firing like threes if you can't shoot, but in practice, yeah, you can work on your three with the, you know, when we work on threes, we'll do shooting drills. We'll do all that. Um, I, I think that skill development is universal. You know, I think that you, you, you can be a big, if you look at it, you can be a big, you better be able to dribble. Like maybe you take that first couple of dribbles, start the break. Right. Or when that, when that point guard ups it to you too early and you have to take a bounce to finish you know, bounce one or two, you better have worked on something, you know? So. Okay. So going with that, how do you have the conversation with the player who you see more as a big and he sees himself as a guard? I don't think you're, you use the term big and guard. Okay. I think, I think I, I'm going to put you in a situation to be successful. You're, you're really like, I'm going to post up my guards. I'm going to put, if my guard, if my guards bigger than your guard and can score on the block, I'm going to post him up too. I'm going to put a player in a position to be successful, whether he's a big, little, I don't care if Tony Singleton can post you up, Wax, I'm putting you on the block and I'm posting you up. That makes a lot of sense. And that would be a great place to stop and say, thank you so much for your time. Coach Trevor, I can see the level of enthusiasm you have for what you do and love you have for the players in your program. And we hope it's sooner than later that you're back out on the floor with them. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And it is a pleasure to talk basketball. It is great to see you again. And it just brings joy to my heart. And let's go get after it. Thank you for tuning in to the LA Court Report podcast, an LA Court Report production.